Good morning, church. Welcome you to our Father's Day Sunday School class. Our lesson's not on Father's Day. I don't know why the lesson writers didn't try to do that, but it's going on in our study that we've been doing in the book of Isaiah. So this morning we're going to be in Isaiah 49, verses 18 through 23. And um, it's about five verses where Covey left off last uh, week. We'll just kind of pick up here in this servant song and uh, move forward in our lesson. But uh, fathers, happy Father's Day. We have a lot planned uh, here today. Again, we have our Sunday school, our regular services this morning. And then right after, we're going to be going outside for a fellowship picnic. And then we're going to have another service. Um, It'll be a little bit shorter Outside, we'll have some songs that we'll be singing. We'll do communion for those who may be in classes during the second hour. And then uh, Brian's going to have a sermonette on Father's Day. And then you can hang out if you want in fellowship, or if you need to go, then you can do that also. But Isaiah 49, verse 18 through 23 is where we're at today. And uh, the theme that the lesson writer has here, it's called God's people shall prosper. Next week's lesson will be out of Isaiah 51, 1 through 8. Isaiah 51, 1 through 8. If you'd like to read that and think about that in your personal devotion time before next week. I'll be reading uh, the whole text. I'm going to read it. A New American Standard, and um, then our lesson is written in NIV. So very close, few words changed uh, throughout uh, this part of the prophecy, and uh, we will look at those things. Change in fortune often results in a change of identity. The change of fortunes for The captives that were there in Babylon, whenever they come back to their homeland, gives them a change of their identity and who they are. God's people faced this reversal of fortune, as did the nation, nations of the world, because of what happened just there with Israel coming back or Judah coming back to Jerusalem. Because the decrees that Cyrus made They also encompassed other nations that Babylon had conquered. They were beginning to run out of space there in the area of Babylon, so they decided to send these people back into their homelands. Now, God's servants um, would offer a change of identity to all. There were great challenges for the servant that's being talked about, or the suffering servant. And who is the servant? Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah. He's the one who will be speaking here. Uh, When we get in and look at these verses we're going to look at today. There are challenges that are going to take place with Judah and the nation of Israel. Even some of the nations where Israel was because Persians now have control of the world. Some of those people head back to the promised land or back to Judah. Some of them stay where they are. They have homes, businesses, 
Everything's going okay for them in various places where they've been dispersed, so they stay there. But the suffering servant, there's going to be challenges for him. There's going to be challenges for Judah and Israel. And there'd be challenges for the other nations, as we're going to see a few of those things. So the question remained, is it worth to be a part of God's great reversal? What do you think about that? Think of the grand scheme of things and what we know about our great reversal. Okay, our reversal from being sinners and sinning to now being children of God if we've been obedient to God's word. Is it worth it to be a part of God's great reversal? Sure. Yeah, that's what we want. You know, even for these people back here, you know, as we're going to read and see here in these prophecies and some of the things that happened here with Judah and um, these remnants of people that want to head back to the promised land. Yeah, there's, there's going to be great challenges of things that they have to do as far as rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls and reestablishing their laws and the covenant with God that they had. Um, rebuilding their homes, recapturing uh, their land, you know, and getting it uh, to be usable again because of 50 years of growth and everything that, that would have taken place. So our lesson writer breaks our context down with historical context, which we're going to look at, and then uh, some literary context. So first off, he tells us that the First readers of the prophecy of today's text understood it as concerning a return from Babylon. For Isaiah had earlier given the dire prophecy about them being taken into exile there. Isaiah 39, 6 and 7 tell us that they were going to be taken into Babylonian captivity. Um, when Babylon fell, though, we're going to talk about that today a little bit. The Jews would return to Judah and Jerusalem. Um, the books or chapters in Isaiah, Isaiah 40 through 48, talk about that. Uh, Ezra, if you'd want to flip over there, Ezra chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 5, gives Ezra, he, he was the priest and everything that went back and was getting things set up. He uh, mentions this. Isaiah 1.5 says, Then the heads of the fathers, households of Judah, and Benjamin, and the priests, and the Levites arose, even everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. So all these people that were inspired and encouraged and wanted to go back to rebuild the temple, Ezra's talking about them going back and doing that. And again, part of this prophecy that we're going to look at today covers that. Now, at the time that Jerusalem uh, would go back, they were going to rebuild. They were going to rebuild the foundations of the temple and eventually get the temple built. And again, the other things that Ezra and Zerubbabel and them were able to do and rebuilding the walls and so forth. Now, there were three different uh, times that Nebuchadnezzar attacked and took captives 
uh, to Babylon. The last time that they destroyed the temple, uh, the walls burned the city and so forth, is the date what? This is our famous date. We've been trying to hit this a lot. We want you to learn this key date. 586 B.C. Now remember, that was the third time that they're going to take people. There were two other times that they had taken groups. In the first group, remember Daniel and his friends were taken. And they were taken into kind of Nebuchadnezzar's school of people that were going to help him uh, running the kingdom. But in 586 B.C., uh, they were going to go back and start rebuilding. Or excuse me, 586 B.C. was when Babylon destroyed the city. And then after the completion of the 70 weeks, it would have started with the first raid and then went after this 586, about 50 years more before they would go back to the land. Jeremiah wrote that there were only 832 that were taken from the city in 586 B.C. The other people there were so starved, so weak, they couldn't even sell them as slaves. That's how, that's how bad things got for that last group that was there. They only took 832. And um, other group, uh, numbers that we were given, one of the groups that they took, they took over 10,000 of, of the best, the smartest, the best nobles, and so forth they took. And uh, many believe Daniel and them would have been amongst those numbers. Now, <clears throat> those who remained had to endure. They had to en endure all the poverty, all the starvation that occurred during the siege uh, there in 586 B.C. This small remnant taken away to join the others in Babylon, this number of 832. Then the city was going to be desolate and be in ruin for over 50 years. Okay, and you might say, well, I thought the prophecy was 70. Again, it starts with the first raid and attack, and the numbers would then go. And uh, a lot even say it would go to 538 B.C. before these things would come into fruition. Now, on the night of... 539 B.C., okay, 586 B.C. is when the last deportation and destruction of Jerusalem took place to punish them, get them to turn back to God, quit worshiping false idols and so forth. They're all in Babylon. The night of 539 B.C. was when the soldiers of Darius the Mede captured Babylon. The Babylonian king then was Belshazzar. But if you know anything about history and study, um, he was having a gigantic banquet that night. It featured using the vessels that were used to worship God in the temple in Jerusalem. And it was wrong for to him to use them in a vain way like that and worship uh, these false gods that they were worshiping with them. And eventually these uh, vessels would be taken uh, back to Jerusalem, to the temple. But Belshazzar, he only had, uh, was second of power or had the power divided because his father was the king of Babylon. His name is Nabonidus. 
he was not there in 539 BC when the raid took place. George Fall always would teach us and say, he was off digging for bottles. He liked antiques. And he went to all these different places and was digging in the dirt. Maybe he was like one of the first archaeologists. And he was out searching for treasures and various things. So he wasn't there, but Belshazzar there. And remember when the handwriting came on the wall in Daniel chapter 5 and nobody could read it, but the queen mother was there. And the queen mother remembered there was somebody who could solve naughty problems and interpret dreams and be able to do things. And uh, he was decommissioned, Daniel, at this time. They said, call for Daniel. He'll tell you. And Daniel came in and remember the promise that was made. I'll give you these purple clothes and gold necklace around your neck and make you a third ruler in Babylon. Why? He couldn't offer anything more because dad had part of the, the rule, Nabonidus, Belshazzar, and now Daniel because he does interpret and says that that very night the, he'd been weighed, found in, uh, wanting in the scales, and the Medes and the Persians were coming. So remember that Belshazzar was a co-regent with his father, Nabonidus, again, who was absent from the capital. Uh, who knows what he was doing, but George said he was out digging for bottles and looking for antiques. And uh, Belshazzar, his guests, they were surprised and shocked by the finger that wrote on the plaster on the wall there in Daniel 5. Daniel interprets the message and again says the, the Persians are going to be there. So they're all in there studying, partying. They flood the waters up of, uh, it was either the Tigris or the Euphrates. Those two rivers came through the city. They blocked that water up upstream. That allowed the soldiers to come down into the creek or the river and then come back up into the city and they were able to, uh, they weren't guarding the city good that night, and they were able to conquer the city. Uh, because if not, I mean, they could have was, uh, stood a besiege for a long time because the water was coming into the city and because of the great storehouses in the city that they had uh, reserves of food. But none of that meant anything because the soldiers got in there and they accomplished this in one night. The Babylonian Empire then comes to an end following its capture by the Medes and the Persians. And then under Cyrus, he takes over after uh, Darius the Mede. And Cyrus the Great uh, established the Persian Empire, which lasted for around 200 years. The famous uh, Cyrus Cylinder had laws and edicts and rules in it, and they found this. And there were decrees there for all the captive people that Cyrus gave, that they could return to their homelands and that they were able to take their gods with them. Well, the Jewish people were not uh, specifically mentioned in Cyrus's own edict there, though his Attention to Jerusalem is recorded in the Bible in 2 Chronicles 36, 23 and Ezra 1, verses 2 and 3, if you'd like to read those on your own. The biblical account later refers to a separate proclamation that was made for them, and it became very important in the days, days of Darius the Great. Remember, they went back 
And uh, the people that were in the area and lived in Samaria uh, went after them and said they were going to attack them and kill them and stop building and you're breaking the laws, you're not allowed to rebuild all this. And what happened? They sent letters back. Darius the Great went and searched, couldn't find anything there in Babylon. But remember, up in the north, up in a fortress, he found these edicts of Cyrus. And then he wrote his own edicts, Darius the Great, to these, which allowed them to go back and not only that, but also financed them. They gave them whatever gold and silver and money that they had taken in taxation. So the men that were complaining about him over in the east on the other side, uh, the great Euphrates River and so forth, that were down there, these governors and everything, <laughs> they were told, you give money to help build this stuff. They wanted to stop it, and they weren't too happy about it. But they, were able, they had to provide lumber, they had to provide monies, and all these things. And again, this is, this is history. So uh, very interesting that they do this. And again... Um, the Jews uh, did not have gods to take with them, so they were allowed to take all of these vessels and so forth that were taken from the temple that Belshazzar had uh, profaned, and they were allowed to take all those things back to the temple so that they could establish proper worship. So the first wave of exiles returned in 538 BC. 539 is when they were attacked, the Babylonians, and uh, Darius the Mede took over the kingdom. 538, they were already allowed to go back to Jerusalem. And it is assumed that over 50,000 people would return in that first wave of people going back to Jerusalem. Then uh, they were scat uh, scattered to find that their ancestral homes throughout Judea and to uh, get things established. And um, they needed to get back and build the temple. But when they got back and they saw how bad things were, they went back and started building their homes and they were condemned for that and told, go build the house of God first. Then you go and take care of building your panel houses and everything. So that's a little bit of history uh, to where we are in our text here in Isaiah 38 starting in verse 18. And here is the literary context. The previous lesson ended with Isaiah 49, 13. That's where Covey ended last week. And great joy was predicted to be expressed. Gentiles in all directions would rejoice as the Lord comforted the people. And we see here five years later where our study begins today, uh, picking up here in the prophecy. Remember, Isaiah prophesied that a virgin would conceive and bear a son in Isaiah 7, 14. That passage is cited in Matthew chapter 1, 22 through 23, as fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. And the fulfillment of that was 700 years away from when Isaiah is writing these things. These things haven't even taken place with Babylon or anything yet. And he's prophesying and telling about these things. And then he also tells about the Messiah or the servant or the suffering servant that's going to come. That's 700 years in the future. 
And remember the minute detail that he gives there. In Isaiah 53, talking about what happened to him as, as he hung on the cross and died as our sacrifice. And God accepted that sacrifice. So this child would grow up to fulfill many other prophecies in the book of Isaiah. Not the least, the prophetic expectations linked to a person referred to as this suffering servant that I've been talking about. Our text comes from the second servant song. I believe there are four servant songs that are given. And uh, last week, the lesson was on the second servant song. And today, our lesson today is still part of that second servant, servant song. Um, the servant is the one who is speaking for the text in this lesson. The servant is understood to be the Son of God or the Messiah. Some have suggested that the speaker is Isaiah, but the context indicates that the speaker is more than just a prophet from what things he says. Now, the mood has changed from exuberance in last week to a lamentation that the Lord had forgotten his people in Jerusalem. It's easy to imagine Jerusalem stating that God had forgotten the city and the people. Metaphorically, Jerusalem sat in the dust, wearing torn clothes and sackcloth and ashes, head bowed in sorrow. Hopelessness was taking place. One of the writers, I don't know if it's Ezekiel, I, I believe it is, he said that when they were there at Babylon, they didn't play music or sing because they were so sorrowful. They hung their harps on the walls. Okay, so it was a time of lamenting. You know, remember Daniel, whenever he was told he couldn't pray, what did he still do three times a day? He went up, went out on his bank balcony, and what did he do? He looked towards the west. He looked back towards Jerusalem and imagined being there as a kid and being by the temple and praying and worshiping with God. So, one, yeah, you could be happy that you were still alive, but two, you were captives, prisoners, and three, you weren't in your homeland. So these would have been hard times. Now, the Lord asked rhetorically whether a woman can forget the child she gave birth to and nursed. We're going to read that in our text here in a minute. And though an unhealthy mother might forget that child, even a mediocre mother cannot. And in the same way, the Lord did not forget the people of Zion. To show his attention, he assured Zion that the ones who had mistreated his people by taking them away was leaving. This provided opportunity for God's children to hurry to return. Because remember, they're being sent back 538. A year before that, 539, Babylon's now not the world power and in control. The Medes and the Persians are, and the Medes get swallowed up by the Persians, and it's the Persian Empire that is the one that we hear so much about in history. Um, God had promised a return, and he also said that Jerusalem and the cities of Judah would be rebuilt, Isaiah 44, 26. At least some of the people in captivity were aware of the passages in Isaiah about a deliverer named Cyrus. 
and that the capital captivity would last about 70 years. It is definite that Daniel was aware of the prophecies of Jeremiah because in Daniel 9 too, he, he talks about it. He wants to understand them and he was praying and fasting and wanting to know when is this 70 years gonna end? What's, what's taking place? You know, my math says it ought to be happening and it, and it did. It took place real quick. So any comments or questions there in the introduction? I know again, long introduction, but we need to get to where we are and get back into the text where, of where Covey left off last week. Okay, let's read these verses in Isaiah 39, 18 through 23. It says, lift up your eyes and look around. All of them gather together. They come to you as I live, declares the Lord. You will surely put on all of them as jewels and bind them as a bride. Who's coming back to them? What are they going to put on? All these captives and all these people, if, if they were taken in Assyria, uh, when they took them captive, some of those people, those Israelites came back to the land. What happened here with Babylon and all these people? We see this taking place here, that these people were coming back. And uh, Jerusalem's going to wear them. They're going to wear all these people that are coming back into the land. And... Uh, have them honor just like a bride would adorn herself. Okay, so this is like the Zion is like the queen and the city there in Jerusalem and so forth. And these people were coming back and she's going to wear them. For your waste or your ruin and desolation places and your destroyed land. They're coming back though and they see everything's devastated, laid waste. Surely now you will be too cramped for the inhabitants. It's almost like when Israel came out of Egypt. And what happened when Jacob and his family went down there? There were 70 of them. When they came out and they numbered them, there were over 600,000 men, plus women and children. And a lot of people say there were 2 million of them. So there was a huge amount. Same thing happened. They went over here in Jerusalem, just small numbers, but the numbers grew. And now they're coming back into Jerusalem and they're like, whoa, it's too cramped. We don't have enough land for everybody that's coming back and to be able to inhabit this. And it says, those who swallowed you will be far away. Who swallowed them? Who beat them up? Who took them captive? Babylon. Now they're far away. They're not even in power. They're, they're, they're done away with. Verse 20. The children of whom you were bereaved will yet say in your ears, the place is too cramped for me. Make room for me that I may live here. So again, this idea of the prophecy here, these children, this is all the Israelites from the 12 tribes, any of them that were able to make it back. And they're saying in their ears and they're telling them, this, this place is too cramped. We have no space. We, how are we going to grow our crops? And... You know, we have our ancestral lands and the land promises that were given and we know, but boy, now look at all the kids and all the children and how are we going to disperse all this land and, and be able to live? It, it's too cramped for us. Verse 21, then you will say in your heart, who has begotten these for me since I have been bereaved of my children and 
and barren and exile and a wanderer who has reared these behold I was left alone from where did these come so now the servants talking about these ones that have come back and, and they're crying in his ears and so forth and it's like wow a lot of these people were killed and destroyed when they took over Jerusalem and, and so forth. A lot of the people were killed that the Assyrians took over, but now they're coming back out of these nations because of these laws that have been given. And they're allowed to go back just as other people that were taken captive. They're allowed to go and take their gods and go back to their cities. And Jerusalem and uh, God's people were allowed to do this too. And now they're going back, and as they're seeing these numbers, it's like, whoa, there's, there's a lot of us. You know, 10,000 in this group left, and 832 in this group that we know about, and who knows how many was in another group. Now here's 50,000 just from Babylon going back, plus others of other cities that are saying, I want to go home. I want to get out of this city where I'm at. 22 says, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will lift up my hands to the nations. Now he could lift his hand up and say, you do something to my people again, you're going to get it. Or he could be lifting up his hand saying, you take care of my people. And that's what we're going to see, a little of both. Because these people give gold and silver and lumber and everything that they need to be able to rebuild the temple and to get things established and going again there in Jerusalem. Uh, it says there, thus says the Lord, behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations, set my standard to the peoples, and they will bring your sons in their bosom, or they're going to bring their sons with them in their arms. They're going to be carrying them, and your daughters will be carried on your shoulders. They're going to be up on your head. You ever see a dad at a fair or anything, and he's probably dying but his little girl runs up and I want to see daddy, I want to see. And they're up there, but then by the end of the day, it's like, oh, why don't I have them up there and now I can't move my head or my neck. Well, when they're coming back and taking these pilgrimages and marches and coming back, the daughters are going to be up on their shoulders or they're going to be on their hips, the NIV says, and they're going to be walking with them to bring them. And the sons are going to be in their arms and they're going to be holding them and uh, they're going to be in their bosoms. And they're going to be bringing their families and the things that they have back into the promised land. And look what it says here in 23. Kings will be your guardians. What's he mean? Well, again, all the places that they went, these kings are going to be giving them money. God's going to cause all of these nations and these people. When Israel leaves, what happened? The people that are still left there in Babylon, like um, um, Mordecai and Esther and um, those type of people, they want to worship God, but they can, they're, they're th saying, we're going to worship God where we're at. You see, but we'll give you money. We'll give you finances. We'll give you things that you need to go back and do that. If you need more, let us know. We'll petition the king or whoever, you know, to make sure you have these monies and so forth. Again, letters were written saying, hey, money that you've been taxing these people, you give them whatever gold, silver that they need, give them animals for their sacrifices, give them the lumbers that they need, the brass, the iron, you know, so on and so forth. So kings are going to be their guardians and be taking care of them, okay, like daddy warbucks and just giving them money and helping them out. And it says, 
and their princes or the queens uh, will be your nurses. So they're going to take care of you and, uh, and nurse you back to health and be there to see you uh, learn and grow and advance. And it says they will bow down to you. Who? The kings, the queens, the princesses, and so forth. They're going to bow down with their face to the ground. And what else does it say? And lick the dust of your feet. Are they literally going to get down there and lick the dust off their feet? What do you think that idea would, would mean? Yeah, it's, it's showing humility. Oh boy, we did you wrong, didn't we? We killed your people and just devastated your whole land and everything about it. You know, some of these people had never been to Jerusalem in, in the heyday. And now they're going back and here's 50 years of growth where their fields that they planted their crops and everything are overgrown now. Thorns and thistles and no one's taking care of the grapevines and they were probably a mess and any fruit trees that were there. You'd go and where the city walls were, those rocks are going to be strewn inside the city and outside the city and everything's just laying around. You go into the city and the buildings are, you know, maybe a few of them are uh, inhabited and people are starting to, to, to build and some of the ones that were able to stay there. But a lot of them were burned, they're destroyed. The temple, which was one of the seven wonders of the world, is just devastated and destroyed. Remember, there was gold covering all that, and they wanted that gold, so they burned it. Why? So that it would melt. But what happened? It melted in between some of the rocks and crevices. So they ripped those rocks and everything up so that they could get the gold and so forth out of those uh, crevices and cracks. And the older people that lived in the heyday, if, if they were some of the elders and that that made it back, they were brokenhearted. They were like, oh, look at our land. It's devastated. And you see some of that back in the Chronicles and Kings and so forth. And the other prophecies that were written. And it's like, oh, man, look how bad it is. But these kings and queens now are giving them money. They're giving them things. That, yeah, it's going to take some sweat of the brow. It's going to take work to get things rebuilt up and to reestablish God's laws for the temple and for the people and to get things established. And these people were humbling themselves as if they're licking dust off of their feet. And it goes on and says, and you will know that I'm God. You'll know that I'm God because most people, this wouldn't happen for them. Kings and queens and so forth wouldn't be giving you all this money and all these things. They'd say, yeah, you can go back, but fend for yourself. But no, they're going to know God's on their side and he's with them because these people were going to be so generous and help them and get them back into the land so that they can worship God and reclaim uh, their land. It goes on and says, those who hopefully wait for me, those who are patient with me, will not be put ashamed. Now, I kind of went through that and threw out some points because the introduction was so long. Kind of got some of the main ideas. But remember, the servant here is the one who was talking. And he's saying that these things are going to happen. Okay, and, and who's hearing these things? This servant, yes, he's the Messiah, and yes, he's Jesus. But who is he? He's God, isn't he? 
There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is the second part of the Godhead, the suffering servant. You know, so he's God. So when we we're praying and everything, we pray in Jesus' name and those petitions and order to go to the Father. Well, these people, Isaiah saying, are going to be praying to God, and Jesus is part of the Godhead. He's the suffering servant. You know, he's the one who led them out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. You know, he kept telling them, do these things, you're going to be blessed. Do these things, you're going to be cursed. And again, he was so patient with them, and he tried so many different ways to get them to stop worshiping false gods. But eventually it came to where he had to punish them. And these prophecies and that were set in place. They were for a limited amount of time, just like Daniel there in Daniel 9 too. He wanted to understand about what Jeremiah had said and what he had read about the 70 weeks. And you know, God didn't make them be in punishment for 100 years or 150 or 200 or 300. It was 70 years. And now they're getting these edicts and these letters are being written and they're allowed to go home now. And again, there, there was sorrowing when they were at Babylon. There's sorrow whenever they go back and see these things not done and, and left out of place. It's sad. Now when we think about that and we think about the church today, what if we just let things go with the church? What if we didn't teach and preach? What if we didn't try to evangelize and win souls for Christ? What, what would happen to the church? Would it just completely dissolve here at Monroeville? Think about it. If we're not doing the best that we can, boy, would there be another church in another generation? We need to work with our young people and teach them and preach and be trying to, to win others to the Lord. Because if we don't, what will happen? People will come and say, look at that building. It's all run down. And you know what? I think Monroeville Christian Church used to meet over there. Oh, that's so sad. I remember going and going to the food cupboard over there. I remember going and going to the clothing ministry back in the, in the day. And I remember going there when I was little to vacation Bible school or to camp or Whatever, and now it's just laid waste and it's sorrowful, it's sad. When we see what's happening here with these people, that ought to motivate us. The, we don't want that to happen. We want to be on God's team. We want to be on God's side. Yes, He serves us and helps, but we need to serve Him. He's our Lord. He's our Master. He's our King. He's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. So again, because of all that He's done for us, not only physically, but also spiritually, and the hope that we have and the promises that we have of the next life, that ought to motivate us even more to make sure we don't allow things to get to a desolate place, but to be growing and advancing and charging forward as we gain more ground and more territory and be able to win those things back off of Satan and his forces that are out there trying to defeat us. Our lesson writer, he ends up the lesson here and, and says this. I'd like to read for you what he says. He says, Jesus' coming results in a change of fortune. Though we were condemned, 
we are now promised eternal life when we choose to follow him as our Lord and as our Savior. Romans 8, 1 and 2. What is it today? 19th of June, is that right? 19th of June. Pretty soon here, you're going to flip the news on, and what are we going to see taking place out west? Happens every year. Anybody? Forest fires. Claiming millions of acres of land. Burning everything up. Destroying it. Most of the time, it's out in the woods. But you know what? Now, we see a lot more where it goes into communities. Destroys whole... Uh, building plans that have been made. It gets into the cities and burns buildings and so forth. You know, the people out west, they, they plan for these contingencies now. What do many of them do? They have their go bags. What do you mean they have their go bags? They have 10 days worth of clothes in a bag. They have their laptop. They've got their little flash or finger drives or whatever and they've taken all their important data and everything off of their computers all their work material and stuff that they would need they're in there they have their personal effects their pictures that they don't want to have lost they have their little a little strong box or firebox and they have all of their wills and deeds and contracts and important papers their social security cards and whatever they need uh, diplomas from college and from high school and so forth. Uh, things that are paid off and everything. And they have them all in these boxes. Why? So when the fires are coming and they're getting closer and closer and they say, you got to evacuate, they don't have to waste time grabbing stuff. They grab their grow bags and they go. And then what do they do? They sit and they wait for a while. And finally, they get the all clear. Okay, all clear, the fire's out. And then what happens? They go back to where they were called out of and what's happening? They're showing it on the news. They're, everything's destroyed. They're home. Everything. And they had their go bag, so they got their strong box. They got their insurance policy, and they call them. And they're like, you know what, we're being overwhelmed. And it, it's going to take us, it looks like, uh, two months before we can come out there and evaluate everything. And then we don't know when. If you want to try to rebuild there or if we can give you, you know, money from your insurance or whatever and you have to go reestablish somewhere else and buy a new home or whatever. And it can be devastating. That's kind of what happened with... Judah. They were there and there were people that knew God kept saying, you better repent. You better repent. You better do this. And they wouldn't listen. Some of them never had time to pack a go bag. There were people climbing over the walls, speaking in different languages and started killing them and, and taking them captive and taking their money and their wealth. And then everything was destroyed. And a, a handful of a few people. And, and none of those people that were left were skilled carpenters or smiths or rock workers or anything. Why? Because ba uh, Babylon took them all. 
Nebuchadnezzar was smart. He took all those people back with him. He took all the gold and the silver and anything that was worth anything. And now they're back there and God says, all clear, you can go home. It's not that God just sent them back and said, here you go. Fend for yourself. But he got kings and queens to give them money and lumbers and clothing and all the things that they would need. Even animals that they took back and herds of livestock. And even though when they went there, they're like, oh, oh boy, I didn't know it was going to be this bad. They still were able to get started and to go. Sometimes when the light comes on in our lives, we realize, oh boy, look what the devil has done to me in my life. I need to become a Christian. I need to accept Jesus. I need to get out of this exile of sin that I'm in that's going to take me to hell's fire. I need to wake up before it's too late. And God's given us everything. It's laid out there for us. But we need to decide individually. We need to choose. Am I going to do what's right? Yeah, and there's going to be some work. There's going to be some blood, some sweat, some tears. But it's all going to be worth it in the end. When we're going to be able to be with God for eternity in heaven in a place where there's peace and happiness. All through the one who died for us on the cross and made it possible. Father's Day. Man, we have a great heavenly father. Who would even allow his son to die on the cross for us so that we could be saved. Our lesson writer, he goes on here and he says this. This change of fortune results in a change of identity. We're not any longer children of the world or children of darkness. We're now children of light. We're now part of God's family. You know, essentially our dress has changed from being a resident of the world to now being a resident of the kingdom of heaven. This service, servant song is one of great hope for Israel and all others. Through Isaiah's audience, they didn't know everything. They may not have completely understood what he was even writing about until after the fact, after it took place. But the redemption promised here goes well beyond the exile there at Babylon and what was taking place there and them getting to go back to their homeland. It encompasses the end of the exile of sin. Through Jesus, we can have an abundant life if we trust in him with all of our needs and we are obedient to him and to his word and his statutes and his commandments. And we put those things into our heart and all, in our mind. Any comments or questions here on those few verses that we scanned and looked at this morning? Okay, we're going to go ahead and close with prayer then. You can get ready for classes or other things that you may be needing to do. And we'll get ready for our worship time today. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we love you and praise you. We again thank you that we were able to look at these five verses, the, the history of what was taking place, and again how these things written uh, 
some of these things written 150, 200 years before they took place, and then other things in the book of Isaiah that were 700 years yet in the future to take place. And some of those things even bound out into the future, as we know and understand how we can have the chains of slavery to sin snap through Jesus, the suffering servant, and how we can have him as uh, our Lord and Redeemer in our lives. Help us to keep studying these prophecies and this history and um, the fulfillments of these things and help these things to help us uh, gain a better understanding and harmony of your scriptures and what you were doing throughout history. Be with us now as we turn our hearts and minds towards our worship time. May you uh, accept our worship as a sweet, savoring aroma to you. Help us to remember the cross and, uh, and uh, Christ uh, dying there for us. And be with the message and help us to learn and to grow from that. Be with us with the other activities that we have planned for this day. We love you. We thank you again for Jesus. And it's in his holy name that we do pray. Amen. All right. Thank you. Love you.